the scripture, let me ask you please um, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, this is your word and we uh, come to it with uh, reverent fear, that is, we trust you. We realize that you're all wise and so we pray that you would help us now as we consider these things. Open our minds, give us eyes to see, and most especially give us eyes to see our Lord Jesus, this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to Job, Job in chapter 42, I want to read verses 1 through 6, Job chapter 42 please. Hear the word of God. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and make it known um, and make it and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, to be really honest with you, anytime I ever take up a passage out of this particular part of the scripture, I do with a great measure of caution. Um, it comes in a portion of the scripture that's called wisdom literature obviously throughout the scripture is wisdom the wisdom of god we read it the wisdom of god i read that passage this morning as we were coming to confession from romans uh, uh, chapter 11 and romans chapter 12 and that's wisdom to us that we are to be renewed in our minds so that we can know the will of god that's that's god's wisdom to us but there are passages and sections of scripture known as wisdom literature, and often, not always, but often comes to us in poetry, as a lot of Job does, which makes it a little more difficult for, for us to understand, especially those of us whose poetry ends with something like roses are red and violets are blue. So it's, it's, it's difficult for us to, to really kind of grab a hold of this and enter into it and, and, and gain the wisdom of God. But there's, there's obviously much wisdom for us to know. And when the Bible speaks of wisdom, it speaks of how do human beings live in this world under God? How do, how do we live there? How do we get it? How do we understand? How do we really live well in the midst of the world in which God has made, the world in which God oversees, the world in which God um, ordains all that comes to pass? How do we live in this world what's wisdom what's wisdom and so we read for instance in the psalms some wisdom of god this wisdom literature there in the psalms and it comes as we've often said the psalms help us because we read uh, through the very hearts and lives of men who are inspired by the holy spirit that is their words are 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 are, are superintended if you will guided 
laid out from them, through them, by the Holy Spirit in such a way that we can understand that we learn how it is that human beings express themselves to God in various kinds of situations. So as the psalmists go through good times, they express that to God. As as psalmists go through difficult times, they express that to God. They express their fears, they express their joys, all of that. And so we read the psalms and it gives us wisdom, it makes us wise as to how we're to express ourselves to God in various kinds of circumstances. And we read Ecclesiastes, another piece of wisdom literature, and and, and, and Ecclesiastes asks that question that's really at the guts of all of us, is if all that happens at the end, I die, then is, is any of this meaningful at all? And he lays out in a particular kind of way why it is, how it is, that life can be is under God meaningful. It's the meaning of life. The Proverbs, proverbial wisdom there, and little snippets, we get these, these statements, these sentences of the, the wisdom of God. We, we read that and we say, yes, that's how I must live. And so we see that. Now we come to Job. We're getting a wisdom, the wisdom of God, through a very, very difficult, obviously, circumstance, in the midst of, through the midst of Job, this righteous, blameless man suffering and what attracts me is if you've been with us the last number of weeks what attracts me to this passage at the end of Job is that he actually repents we've been talking about confession because I've been trying to set us up to take us through the prophet Malachi over a number of weeks uh, starting in a couple of weeks uh, which is about worship really not just our worship on Sundays but but, but worship 24-7 what does it really mean to live to express the worth the worthiness of God what does that really mean for us how do we do that Um, and, 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 and part of this worship expressing the worth of God is to come before him and see him and acknowledge who we are in the midst of him, in the midst of him, and we realize that, that we've sinned against him and, and he's worth our lives and we get that. He's worth our obedience, we get that. He's worth our loyalty, we get that. He's worth our love and affection, we get that. And, and, and part of how we express our worth, their God's worth, and worthiness to be honored and prayed and praised and obeyed and all of that is by way of confession. We agree that we haven't, but we should have. And only that we, we realize that he's so worthy that not to be loyal to him, not to obey him, not to submit to him joyfully uh, is to lead to our condemnation. And so we understand all that. He's come as confession. And we realize our hopelessness and helplessness before him. And so we plead by his mercy, which shows his greatness. Plead to his mercy that he would forgive us. And we've taken a look at a couple of, of confessions, if you will. David's, after his very personal sin with Bathsheba. There's a sense in which, when we read of David's confession, we're not surprised. That is to say, we think, of course. Given the sins he committed He needs to own up to those. He needs to be honest about that. He needs to confess before God his sin. He was unfaithful in his own life. And and he committed adultery with another man's wife. And not simply another man, but this other man was a very honorable man, Uriah. He he fought in David's army. and, 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 And yet David took his wife. And then, of course, David not only lied to the nation, but but he he orchestrated 
Uriah's death so that he could then cover up his own sin and take Bathsheba to be his his own. And, And we see all of that and we go, well, of course, he must confess his sin. It's so obvious. What scared us is that David lived in denial for many, many months and we wondered about ourselves. Could we live in denial of our own sin like that? And of course, the answer is yes. That was unnerving. But the David confessed was a huge surprise. It was amazing that God forgave him. We we kind of take all that for granted. Of course, that's what God does. But when you think about the gravity of his sins, to realize that God said, okay, all of this from the adultery to the lying and the lust and the murder, I will not count your sins against you. But then we were taken aback when we saw the discipline that a loving, wise father laid on David so that he and we would know the severity of sin and sin no more. Then we looked at Daniel. Now, Daniel was a bit surprising. What surprised us with Daniel is that Daniel was a faithful man, and when he made confession of sin, he spoke of we, not they. And so Daniel's confession was on behalf of the whole people. And what broke his heart, what what struck him most, what caused him to fall upon his knees, is that he realized that the sin of the people of Israel, of whom he was one, thus he was identified with them, the sin of the people of Israel had caused God's name to be spurned among the nations. That his people would look upon these people who claimed that God was their God and they would defame the name of God. They would say things like, that God must not be powerful. Look at his people. They're in exile. Look at his city. It's destroyed. And Daniel realized that all that was because of the sin of the people. And so God's name was defamed and that broke his heart. And so he went to God and he pled his mercy and he said, but God, for the sake of your own name please God what what all I really care about isn't the comfort of this people or my own comfort what I really care about is for your name to be honored so please God do that for the sake of your own name rebuild your city so that these people can stop defaming your name Uh, send back your people like you promised so that the nations can see that you are really God and and so we realize that in our own lives does it really break our hearts when the name of God is defamed because of our sin. And, and is what we really desire for God's name to be honored. But we come to Job. Here is a man. And we've all suffered in various measures, some more than others. Some might be in the midst of it even now. But here's a man who suffered greatly. Some have said, I don't know if this is true. Like no other man has suffered, save for except Jesus. But think of his life. And, and, and catch this, that God said of Job that he was a blameless man. And by that he didn't mean sinless. But even the days, even in the days before the tabernacle was built and the covenant was made with Moses and all of that, God had this covenant, this relationship with this man, Job. And he said, in relationship with me, he's blameless. That is to say, he's faithful. He's a man of integrity because he honors me, God would say. And what that means is that, that he actually fears me. He fears me. Notice that chapter 1. 
in this surprising, surprising scene. I, I would never have expected this. Never expected that, uh, that Satan would be in the courts of God in any way, shape, or form. And so, verse 6, chapter 1, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Now, I have to be honest. One of the things I would rather not have happen is God and Satan have a conversation about me. And so like, could you leave me out of this? Now, the good news is, he does. He speaks to Satan only of Christ. And that's good. And we're in him. But, he said, if you considered my blameless, upright, he fears God. That means he reveres me, honors me, and he honors me by turning away from evil. He gets it, he understands. Um, but then, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. Now, that isn't really a slam against Job. That's a slam against God. Because Satan is in a sense saying... If you didn't give him all this stuff, he wouldn't give you the time of day. If you didn't give him all this stuff, you're not worthy of the time of day. You, you, you have no intrinsic worth, God, at all. This is just a quid pro quo. Uh, this is a contract. If you give people this, then they give you thanks and praise. You do this, then they'll worship you. You give them this, then they'll honor you. Take that all away, and you're absolutely nothing at all. That's the scene. That's being set up. And that's really the scene in all the earth. For all time. It was the scene in the Garden of Eden. It's the scene today. Whether we can see it or not. The question is, is God worthy? Is he worth it? Is he worth our loyalty? Our joyful obedience? I always put that word joyful in front of obedience. And I... Do it for me. Because it isn't to be a duty, give me the list, God, and I'll do it. It is, God, I delight in the list. What is it that you would like me to do? It's joyful obedience, you see. He's worthy of that. That's our worship. Now, I'm a grandfather. And I buy affection. That's sort of the definition. If you look that up in the dictionary, if it's a good one, it says one who buys affection from small children. And I buy affection <clears throat> because I'm insecure. Because there are other grandchildren to my grandchildren. And I want them to like me best. And it may bankrupt me, but I don't care. Uh, so I give them things. And uh, so that they will, in fact, like me. Now, God isn't insecure. There isn't any real competition to him. And he can simply stand and say, I'm worth it. I really am. 
That's not an egotistical statement in the sense that, that he's putting himself over other people and he's trying to shine light on himself that he doesn't deserve. It's just simply true. He's just simply, this is who I am. Your life is enhanced by, in every circumstance, in every situation, worshiping me, yielding to me, submitting to me, loving me, honoring me, joyfully obeying me, being loyal to me, submitting your mind to me, your life to me. He says, really, no matter what. So what we have set up here really, if we have eyes to see, what we have set up here really is the whole challenge of of all of life. Uh, That big question, will a human being worship God for nothing? Is he really worth it? And so the scene is set up like that. And so Job doesn't know any of this. And as far as we know, never knows any of this. You get a sense at the end, and we can see this later, that he kind of hints that he knows that at least God is sovereign over all things and everything comes from his hand. So in some sense it comes, but we don't know that he caught this opening act at all. It's just here. And so Satan's deal is stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. In other words, take it all away. And so then the Lord deputizes Satan, verse 12, and he says, the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has in your, is in your hand, only against him. Uh, do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. Basically, he said, don't, don't, don't hurt his body, but take everything else or anything else that you want. So he does. Takes his servants. Takes all of his animals, his wealth, if you will. Takes all of his children. And if we're watching this, there would be, should be, I would think, a pause after his children are taken between verses 19 and 20 and then verse 20 at a certain moment in time when the drama has reached its max then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped at that point in time Satan was defeated by way of the suffering of Job And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. There's a sense in which, of course, this integrity of Job is held up, but even more so, the value, the worth of God. God is being worshipped in this sense. So then, of course, Satan's not happy, and you know how this goes. I suspect you know the story. You know how this goes. Satan goes back to God and says, well, you know, really... Uh, anybody do that but if you go after his body his own personal skin then of course he'll turn away from you God had brought up to Satan's face again have you considered him there's none like him blameless and upright he fears God turns away from evil he holds fast his integrity although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And then Satan says to the Lord, skin for skin, you know what happens? His skin is ravaged. So much so in gross scene. He scrapes it with pottery just to scratch it, just to get all that off. It never gets off. It never stops pain, the itch, whatever it is. And there he is, Job's wife, who's been through a lot. 
her children too, her wealth too, now her husband's health. And she looks to Job verse 9. You still hold fast your integrity. And by integrity, she means, you know, this, this relationship with God, your faithfulness to him. You've made vows to him that you will honor him because he is God. You're still going to hang on to that. You're still going to cling to that. I mean, that's the same question that Satan put to God in essence. Will he really worship you once you've taken all this away? What is this relationship that you have? Is it, is it contractual? Is it on the basis of what you give him and thus he repays you by this honor? honor and all of that but if you take that away then will he worship you know i wonder some mornings as i come into worship and i think if he took it all away would i still come i mean is there a qualitative difference in our worship between good days and bad days between right after i got the job as opposed to right after i lost it and yeah, there's some sense of it. Of course, there's sadness in one occasion and happiness in the other occasion. And that has to inform it. And certainly God does give us good gifts and we give him thanks for that. And, and that, that, that enhances, if you will, in certain measures our praise. But, but the other side of that is, do I come despising him on a bad day? Do I come withholding on a bad day? Because I haven't gotten what I think I should have gotten from him. And this test is going on all the time. That's the wisdom we get from Job. But Job, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and, and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So there we see him. His friends come, three of them, and they sort of stand by and watch that's the best thing they did, by the way. Stood by and watched for a while. And Job begins his laments. He's in physical pain, obviously. But there's more to it than that. Because he's a thoughtful man. He's a man who really does believe in God. He's a man who really does believe in the wisdom of God and the power of God and the goodness of God. And he sees his own life before God and he wonders, what's really going on here? We know that. And God doesn't rebuke him for that. He, he goes in chapter 3 with this lament and it lays out for us very poetically, but it lays out for us the fact that this suffering is really real. It's not just physical, but just the agony of it, the knowing of who God is and wondering what's really going on here. And so he curses the day he was born, the sense in which why am I alive just for this? He, he anticipates and desires, looks forward to even, asks for death so that he doesn't have to continue through this. We see in that the reality of this pain and this suffering and the agony, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually and every other way. It's, it's infiltrated everything about Job and in a sense really coming after him and tormenting him. To add insult to injury, his friends come to him, these friends, and they want to describe and explain the situation, explain God to him. And their thesis basically runs like this. God is just. God punishes evil, therefore. You're suffering, thus you have sinned. If that isn't true, then God is not just. And Job knows that to be true in the sense that he knows God is just. And he knows that God punishes evil because God is just. And he knows that it would be unjust not to punish evil, but he says, listen, I still don't get it. 
There's a sense in which my sense is he's thinking. If that's true, why aren't you suffering? Why just me? That's not fair. And, and I know God. I know God. And, and I've even said, and I believe this, in the same embrace that he can take it or he can give it. it, it that's not the point. He's God. I still then don't know why I and not you. Why I, not others. Why I, in the midst of, of this circumstance. And, and so he, he, he pleads with God. He said, I, this is not an even exchange here. I need a mediator. I need someone who can touch us both. Someone who could be a go-between. If I had that, that would be helpful. And I need an audience with you, God, so that I can at least justify myself, vindicate myself, so I can at least come before you and, and lay out my case before you. I really, I really need to do that, God. But, but, but here's the bottom line still, and, and in the midst of all that Job suffers and all that he goes through, still this underlies his, his whole situation. And he says that even if you slay me, I'll still trust hope in you now again picture him when he says that and understand too that is not a bargaining chip he isn't saying that thinking well, once we get this taken care of when he really realizes that that i don't really you know no matter what i'll still worship him then then he'll you know come to his senses and and really help me but in the midst of that, he's saying, if you don't help me, then still he would anticipate, I trust, that day with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were there and Nebuchadnezzar had put out the edict that could not worship God. You know, had to worship him. And they said, no. And you remember, so he says, I've made this fire and it's so, so hot that you can't even get close to it with singe even those who built the fire. And he said that, that no, no, no. Uh, if you don't worship me, if you continue to worship like this, then I'll send you there. And, and they said very honestly and openly, our God can deliver us. But, but you know, even if he doesn't, even if he slays us, yet still we'll worship him. And that's what Job is in the midst of this. Another friend comes. Seems a little better than the first three, yet his take is that God disciplines and, and, and by way of, of, of suffering is disciplined so that we drawn back to him in some sense. True, but still Job wonders about all of that. Can that, can that really be true in this case? And finally, God shows up in chapter 38 of, of Job. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Now, if we could pause just for a moment. I don't know if there was a pause. I don't know how all that worked out. But if we can pause after God shows up and, and I'm Job and I'm beginning to think, I'm probably thinking, finally. And I'm thinking, I hope he wrote down my questions you know i hope he has them because i trust now he'll tell me why all this is happening i trust he'll tell me what i've done if i've done anything and if i haven't done anything he'll tell me why i'm in this particular 
predicament, why this is all happening to me, why all this is happening to me right now. But, but then as this thing gets going, we realize that it appears as if God has no intention of answering his questions particularly, but rather he sets out a series of over 50 questions for Job. And Job doesn't even need to phone a friend to answer these because the answers are very apparent. Notice how some of them go. Who is it that darkens my counsel, words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will question you and make it known, and you make it known to me. So God lays this out, and he said, let me make sure we understand our relationship. Now, this isn't God bullying anybody particularly. It's just the reality of the situation. God doesn't have to beat his chest. He simply has to be. To verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Now, quite frankly, that really could have ended it. I mean, the answer is I wasn't, but you were and you did. And I have no idea how you could do that. I have no idea how anyone can do that. It's unfathomable. It's unsearchable. But God goes on. Who determines this measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched out, who stretched the line upon it? And Job would have to go, I, I don't know. On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the, the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and said bars and doors and said thus far you shall come and no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed have you commanded the morning since your days began caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked shaken out of it it changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment from the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken all of this on and on and on and on and on and on and on chapter 40 verse 1 and the Lord said to Job shall a fault finder contend with the almighty he who argues with God let him answer it verse 3 then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I, I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. You get the sense that Job is changing somewhat. Now, now, now he's realizing that all his laments, though he felt them and real, but now that he really sees who God is, he realizes who he really is and says, all right. But then God goes on, verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, dressed for action like a man, I'll question you and you make it known to me. If I'm Job, I'm thinking, haven't we been here before? But then God turns it a bit. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? And you get a sense of 
the twistedness that's been going on even in the heart of Job through the midst of his suffering. He wants to be justified. Job does. And in his justif- being justified, he's going to show God to be unjust because he really didn't deserve any of this. And the truth of the matter is there's a sense in which he really didn't deserve any of this. God even said he didn't really deserve any of this. God said he was a blameless man. God said he'll still worship me even if you take this all away. And that was proven. He took it all away and he still continued to worship. But but now, Job is laying himself against God and saying, you're being unjust. And God said, oh, really? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with his majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. And God says, well, what about the behemoth, this big, huge animal that no one could even imagine? What about the um, Leviathan, this big, great sea creature that It's greater than any could imagine. What about that? You see that. And it isn't just simply about power here. It's also about wisdom. Who has the wisdom for this? Who can create such a thing? Power. But but who, who would create such a thing? Wisdom. So after all of that comes before Job and he sees himself, then he answers the Lord again. And he begins his answer with this realization. I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, God, I see it. You have a purpose in all of this. And I realize that your purpose won't be thwarted. And there's a sense in which, since it's your purpose, it's a good purpose. I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then he quotes, God, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And Job says, all right. I realize now I've uttered what I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Verse 4. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. Another quotation from or of God. Job's response. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes now. Job wasn't repenting, that is, changing his mind, turning his away. He wasn't repenting from that which caused the suffering. In other words, his counselors weren't right. He isn't saying, oh yeah, I must have done really something bad in order to make all this happen, so I repent of that. No, 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 that wasn't it at all. That that would take away the whole message of, of Job. The point of the fact is that he didn't directly deserve that suffering. But what he's repenting of is how he responded to it. And this repentance really, in dust and ashes, he realizes his, himself there. And, and this prayer is one of surrender. It's one of relinquishing. It's one not of resignation to say, okay, God, this is my circumstance. This is the deal. I guess I'm stuck with it. I'll put up with it and I'll still worship it, worship you. It's not that at all. It's this surrender. It's saying, you're right in all that you do. I will trust always in you. I surrender. I repent of speaking of things I didn't understand didn't know do you realize at this moment in time job still doesn't know them 
still doesn't know of the meeting between Satan and God. He doesn't know about his circumstance any more than he knew at the end of chapter 2 or any other time. What he knows now is God. What he sees now is God. And so when he sees God, then he closes his mouth and he surrenders himself. He says, I despise myself, meaning I despise that self of me that would presume to think you to be unjust because of my circumstance. I despise that part of me that thinks that I need to be justified and and I need to be vindicated. No, 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 no. I despise all that. And I turn away from all of that. And dust and ashes, I'm sorry. And I yield myself to you. Some of you remember, and I please forgive me for making again this reference. But a number of years ago when Karen was sick with bacterial meningitis, I addressed the church uh, on a Wednesday evening with this question. What would we have done if Karen had died? And the we there, at least initially, was me and my family. But I carried it over to all of us. What would we have done if Karen would have died? You faced that same question in your life. What would we do if? What would we do if I lose my job? What would we do if I lose my health? What would I do if I lose my spouse? What do I do if I lose my child? What, if I do, what do I do if I lose this desire of my heart? The answer that I gave, I gave it because we had talked about it, my children and I. Not just when Karen got sick, but we've been talking about it for years. And I had talked with you about it before too as well. It was no surprise the answer. You should be able to give the answer. I suspect as I began that talk, people were able to give the answer. They knew what I was going to say. The question always, is it real? I hope it is. But that's always the the challenge, the test of life. When X is taken away, when X is not given, what will I do? And the answer that I gave, and I hope, pray, is true for me and my children and you, is that we would have worshipped God. We would have been sad. but I trust we would have worshipped God. And in the midst of those difficulties, of course, we talk and we think and we, and we wonder why did this happen or that happen and all of that. And, and that wondering isn't a bad thing. We read through the Psalms and we feel the wondering coming out of the psalmist. We read through Job, we feel the wondering of, of all of this coming out. But, but you know, there comes, comes a time when we encounter the very presence of God that we do as we worship, that we do as we, as we consciously enter into his presence in this time of of, of speaking and listening that we encounter him and it's in that encounter of the real and true and living God that then we realize who we are and then 
at least for that moment, in that context, at that time, we surrender. We surrender by And we listen. And we see who he is. And there's this instinct, this sense of repentance. Oh, yes. He spoke of things I knew not of. Now that I really have you in my glimpse. And I worship That, that question, well, I worship God for nothing. Well, the good news for us is that we don't normally have to worship God for nothing because, we, because he's always gracious to us in giving and we have stuff and all those kinds of things. But the truth of the matter is that, that the answer should be and the thing we need to prepare our minds, the wisdom is that, yes, God is worthy of our worship. This, this shows it. He gives us this picture of a man, this man actually lived this experience so that we, through him, can see that if everything is taken away, still God is worthy of worship. Now, you know the end of the story, I trust. You know that everything that Job had lost is restored. Now, now there's a sense in which we know you can't replace a child that was lost with another child. It's not like a goldfish, right? But the very point of the graciousness and the kindness of God and the goodness of God is seen in the very end of it. I probably should have read that as well, but he, but he gets all his wealth back and he gets, all, he gets more children and all of that. And, 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 and all of that is wonderful to us, refreshing to us. But please know that when Job closed his mouth and surrendered, he knew none of that. There was no presumption of that. There was no promise of that. He had lost it all and still worshipped God. He had no anticipation of getting it back and he still worshipped God. How do we do that? Well, for us, we gaze upon Jesus. Because you see, there's a sense in which God says to us, so, Bill, how would you redeem lost people? Where were you when I was redeeming you? Well, in one sense, I wasn't. another sense, I couldn't have been. You see, my best wisdom would be, give me the list, I'll do it. <laughs> that fails every time. So he said, well, then if you're guilty because you haven't kept it, now what? I don't know what. I haven't done anything to pay, to satisfy, to take care of that debt. So, so, so now what? And his answer is, well, then look to Jesus. He's the wisdom and power of God. 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 speaks to us of, of Jesus and the cross being just that, the wisdom and power of God. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I'll thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. And God's saying, listen, even compared to the world, you weren't too bright. What about me? What about compared to me? Not many of you are powerful compared to the world. Not many of you are powerful. Well, what about me? Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothings things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Job had nothing to boast in at that moment in time. Still he clung to the one who had made heaven and earth. That's a prayer of surrender. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, when you realize you haven't got it, then you do. When you realize that you have nothing and you go to him and you say, I haven't, he says, I'll give you the kingdom. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And that's, that's true. That's true. So he says, we come in the, to God in the midst of worship. We confess. We confess not only because of our particular sins. Yes, we do, because we failed to show the worth of God even as we sin. We failed to trust him. We failed to joyfully obey him. We confess even our sins. Close together. And there's something else as well. We come and we surrender to God and we say, listen, God, even if you take everything I have away, I will worship you. This prayer that I stole from John Wesley. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you, brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. My health, my wealth, my family, my friends, my reputation my prestige, my future. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours. Mm. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our allegiance. You're worthy of our loyalty. You're worthy of our love. You're worthy of our trust. You're worthy of our minds. You're worthy of our words. You're worthy of our behavior. 
everything. So we pray that you would inform all of that in our lives. And we pray, God, that we wouldn't be fickle or fair-weather worshipers, but that we would worship you every day, all the way. Although many of us are going through a variety of things, difficulties, bits and pieces of losses and sufferings, whether it be with the loss of people and friends and whether it be the loss of jobs, whether it be the loss of health. So Father, I pray that you would be with us to enable us to in the midst of that still declare your worth. Father, we pray for the family of Gloria, Gloria Follitus. She passed away this week, dear friend of ours. Father, be with them, enable them to worship you in the midst of loss. Father, we give you thanks for all that you do give to us. We pray that we would never simply be pleased with you when you give us what we want. But God, we would trust you uh, even when we do not see it. But Father, I confess, pray for me, for us. And for us to live like that, we need to see you to know you. So I pray that you would make yourself known to us. Please, by your word as we read it, I pray that we see you in it as we meditate upon our Lord Jesus. And we realize that he indeed is the very wisdom, the very power, the very love of God. And that we can trust you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.